from Nordic Institute and the Sault Ste. Marie Innovation Center's Rural Agri-Innovation Network, we are committed to promoting resilient Northern Ontario communities. Over the years, we have built local economies, attracted young people to education and employment opportunities, and bridged the gaps between communities, funders, and leaders. Now we are partnering to bring you a brand new podcast series, The PackSack Project. If you have ever packed for a trail hike, you may have thought, did I really need to pack this expensive camera gear? What is essential to this trip? The PackSack Project is all about exploring the essential relationships, attitudes, and mindsets that Northern communities need as we adapt to change and challenges. Northwestern Ontario had a difficult year. From forest fires to the intense drought, the impacts were felt severely on livestock farms. The latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change concluded that human-caused warming is causing increases in the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events like droughts. How well are we prepared for these events? Certainly, most of us are feeling the impacts of the drought in supermarkets as the price of meat and dairy products have gone up. Kim Jo Bliss is a beef farmer and is also a research technician at the University of Guelph's Emo Agricultural Research Station. Also joining us is Timo Brielman, owner of Brielman Agriculture, a young cash crop farmer in Rainy River that farms over 8,000 acres in that area. First, let's get to know more about our guests. Okay, so today I'm joined with Timo Brielman from Brielman Agriculture, and they're based in Rainy River, Ontario. Uh, thanks for joining us, Timo. Can you start off by sharing uh, what you grow and across how many acres in Rainy River? Okay, yeah, no problem. We This year we farmed 8,300 acres, so we're not quite done harvest. We're just, just wrapping up canola, so we grow oats, wheat, canola, soybeans, and corn. And we're trying this this crop called ryegrass. So we did one field. It was just kind of a, a test. Also on the program today is Kim Joe Bliss, a beef farmer from Rainy River, who also works as a technician at the Emo Agriculture Research Station out of the University of Guelph. I currently farm uh, north of Emo, which is on my um, would be my great grandfather's. But though I didn't know him, it was my great uncles, and they were neither one of them were married, and they farmed. Um, there for you know their entire lives and and I farmed with my grandma and this farm was like next door so they kind of worked together um you know as when I was a kid that was kind of the partnership so I I only ever wanted to farm and um and so I'm pretty blessed that I was able to to move into that role and I'm on their place and still farm my grandma's land as well though I don't they don't live on that farm I still farm it the main enterprise would be the beef, the beef herd. And, um, I have about, I try to keep around 50 cows and, and I, I have a small, like half of them probably would be like a purebred uh, herd of Herefords. The other Hereford and Angus cross. I still calve about the middle of February and it's, it's just mainly because of my off farm job. So, um, you know, when April hits at the research station, you're generally kind of full, full speed ahead with planting or, or getting ready to plant if you're not on the land. Like, I feel like I've been pretty fortunate that I've, 
you know, been able to farm because that's really what what I only wanted to do. And then with this off-farm job, you know, it's in agriculture, so I'm doing what I love and with the people that are, you know, absolutely, you know, great <laughs> to work with and for. What does the average year look like in Rainy River in terms of weather? And I guess from your perspective, how has that changed over the years? Usually in, in Rainy River, like we get a lot of sun, but sometimes in the month of June and May, it can get really gloomy and cloudy. And usually June is our, our rainy month and it's just rain every day and it's very wet. Usually like all our whole farm is tile drained because we're typically always wet. We, it's, we live around swamps and a lake. So we, you know, we did all this work to get rid of the water and this year we didn't get much rain and in June and July, it was just we could work every day. It was nice, beautiful sh- sunshine. It was uh, actually really windy this year. Typically, we don't get much wind, so it makes it easy for spraying. But this year was a little bit of a different challenge, but also it was nice that it was so dry. Kim also touched on the history of the agricultural landscape and average production of livestock in the Rainy River District. I started this job like um, when I was still like in in school. So I started this job as a student in 1988. So I hate to admit that. So at that that time, we had around 35 people milking cows in the Rainy River District. So when I started, a lot of my work was with those 35 dairy farmers. And then over the years, that's transition. We actually are down to five and soon we'll be down to three guys milking here. And so it became, I'd say, a little bit more grass country, if that makes sense. And like a lot more, you know, the forage crops and and research or trials were really, you know, pretty valued um, because of the amount of beef cows. And even through through the tough times within the beef industry, our beef cows numbers tend to stay the same. Like the biggest impact has been this year with this drought and uh, through BSE um, cattle, people may have changed like got out but the cattle still stayed in the district they just moved to a different farm and now things are are changing again the last few years our crop numbers are growing and growing and growing um, those are kind of the two crops that I think people really seek to grow Um, but there's a lot more corn than than when I first started you know working at this you know through the research station there's a lot more corn it was at one time just the dairy guys now you know there's a lot of beef guys growing corn so Things have changed and, and had a tough year, but um, we still have a lot going on and, you know, things are moving and advancing forward. And we have young people, you know, in agriculture that are treating it as a business and wanting, you know, only to farm. They don't want to work off the farm. They're they're wanting to, like, farm <laughs> and raise their family. So I feel like that's pretty exciting. <laughs> as a beef farmer... How did the drought affect him? So we started off like, you know, somewhat, I, I'd say dryish spring, but, you know, early enough, like, you know, there was a lot of stuff planted in April this year. And that doesn't always happen. But that last week of April, first week of May, but there was crops going in pretty early. So that indicates that it was dry. It just wasn't real warm, but, you know, warm enough to plant cereals and stuff. So um, and we were trucking along pretty good. And then we got this late frost and we often can see a late frost, but this was like a late killing frost and it it lasted, you know, for a couple of hours through the night when it was like minus two and a half and three and stuff like that. So this late frost 
like we've seen it affect our forage land, which we don't often see that, right? Like they're not, it's usually that crop that's not that sensitive. So, you know, at the research station, I was like shocked when I seen dead alfalfa and dead red clover and stuff like from this frost. But even still, I think that we, as people that live in Rainy River District, we're still expecting you know, rain at that point, it was getting dry, but it's still expecting rain. And I, I believe that the frost is kind of what took us over the top because we never did get a rain. So I think, I believe that our forages would have had some more, like a little more recovery from that. We were all holding our cattle back from going to pasture, but thinking, well, we're going to have to go. This is getting ridiculous. There wasn't a lot of hay left, left over, right? Cause you're feeding a little later. So the cattle left. And I still think that we all, every one of us, optimistic or whatever we are, believed we were going to get rain. Um, And it didn't rain and it didn't rain. It didn't rain. July's coming around. You're trying to make hay. Um, The grasshoppers, like what little hay there was, like ankle high hay, which is unheard of because we are really known for forages and grass country kind of thing um the grasshoppers moved in in like in big ways and we're we're cleaning off our crop off our land as quickly as we could gut it then the struggle of baling like the crops were so short that you know we couldn't get you couldn't get balers to pick up and the, and the balers would kind of almost explode when it was rolling around in the in the, the hay would like explode because it was rolling around these short fibers and so it was just it was really mentally very hard on a, on everyone. Like I I can honestly say that there was there wouldn't be one person that would say that you know they're like oh, like you're covering. You know, there's stories about people covering. You know, well the one fellow that did like you know, hundred and some acre to look a little rough, but then usually the rain comes right. So so anyway, um, people started feeding hay, but the worst part of was. Like it was really like who wants to feed hay in summer, but then also you're feeding hay that you just didn't have enough of already, <laughs> you know, for for the winter. So cattle started to leave in in fairly big numbers, and people were scrambling around. What what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like like we're still like we can feed right now maybe, but what what's going to happen if we you know if we're starting feeding in July and we got to feed right through till like May, you know we we can't afford this. For sure, the beef farmers took the biggest hit, and also the dairy farmers, because uh, they didn't get the rains in June to wake up the grass from the springtime and get that growth moving. There was fields in July that hadn't even been cut once, and the hay was no taller than my, my ankle. So it was uh, it was just tough for them to get their feed volumes, and everyone was very frustrated, so that, that was tough for them. But we also had a frost in the end of May. So our soybeans were just coming out of the ground and we had two nights there where we had a really heavy frost. It was minus seven for a couple hours. So we actually had to end up reseeding uh, 700 acres of soybeans. And then we did about 300 acres of canola that frosted out. And we had a lot of bug issues this year too because there was no rain. So the, the beef farmers really had a big problem with alfalfa weevils. It stripped a crop and then the grasshoppers came and just ate everything from the ditch sides to like to, to the hay crop and they went after our they went after our crops too they went after the wheat uh, they actually started eating on canola as well they were just that hungry so there was the frost the bugs and the drought and i think all that amplified the the problem without being not much feed everything happened all at once and i guess farmers just weren't prepared and it was uh, pretty scary there for a while like no one had any food
for their cows and people were cutting hay to feed their cows in the middle of the year. So it was uh, tough times. What was the immediate drought impact to both of these farmers in agriculture in Rainy River? We farm a, about a 50 kilometer strip from like our fur, east to west, our furthest fields. And uh, the one, the fields as you get further to the west, they're more gravelly and, and rocky, I guess I, I should say, and more sand content. So those fields dried out a lot quicker and they suffered more from the drought. And uh, in Pinewood, where we farm river bottom, like heavy clay, it, it held onto the moisture. So our crops weren't that terrible. I mean, they weren't, you know, the best crops ever, but we're happy in the, in this situation. But up like North End Farms, the farm we custom operate, they had some yield hits because it was just so dry. There's so many stories that just hit home with me. Like one fellow was like, and then my well went dry. And he also had a lot of beef herd and milk cows. And he was like, you know, now who do I talk to about, like, what do I do? And and then another guy, he runs around 300 cows and he's like, well, you know, I, I'm I'm making the decision to get rid of 100 cows. And I think I'm okay with that decision. But he said, then I got thinking about long term, like this, this decision is going to affect me next year, too, because I have 300 cows, because that's what I need to make a living and, you know, make my payments and do all that. So like next year, what am I supposed to do? Keep my 200 cows and get an off farm shop just so I can make everything, you know, meat and so definitely, like, I don't know if everyone, you know, unfortunately would like to admit that this mentally played a toll, but it, it, it played a toll. The tile drainage companies are working here, you know, every summer more and more land is getting tiled. But I can see there's a bit of, there's some hard feelings, like with, with the drought this year, and, you know, people were concerned because people were getting their, get rid of their cattle. And I heard more than one time, well, hopefully they don't sell that land to to somebody that's just going to tile it and, and we lose it all together, right? So I feel that, <laughs> I feel it or I see that little bit of tension, though Though those people are very valuable in our district. And this year, through the droughts, those crop guys, some of their crops were, you know, definitely scouted out, but they were more than a crop that they, it deserved more than salvage, if that makes any sense. But they did help us out by bailing a lot more straw than than what we often would see within the district. Lots of times they chop it back into the field. But because we were so short of feed and people were trying to figure out a way to feed pretty much anything, you know, a lot of straw got bailed in the district on those bigger crop numbers. So kind of nice that you can see people come together on a a time like this as well. What is the long-term impacts of the drought and how are farmers planning for the future? the events are going to be more um, radical, like maybe heavier rains or longer droughts. I guess you just got to be smart with your costs and, and plan ahead and keep, you know, keep yourself above water. So if you're, if you know, you're, you make your budget so that you're not always expecting 50 bushel beans, maybe you say, well, maybe I'm only going to get 35 bushel beans and try to make a, you know, a more efficient farm and less, uh, just have less cost in it. Um, we're actually really, every time the sprayer goes across the field, I, I always find it frustrating, but dad and I always try to take like, okay, hey, well, it's costing so much money to do this. Is it worth it? What will we see the end? Are we just doing this for cosmetic purposes or is this actually helping our bottom line? And so the conversation that, that dad and I have on the sprayer trailer have actually changed a lot to um, dealing with more uh, profit margins instead of like, um, 
you know, it's more of like, what is this costing us and what is this actually getting us in return? So uh, we're trying to be really s smart that way, but we have had made mistakes, but we're, I think we're making it through pretty good. And how are you going about, um, I guess, getting ready for, for next year and, and what that may bring? Like next year in terms of the, the farming, we're, we're carrying on just the same way. I mean, we've made our crop plan already and we're trying to keep things simple and more organized and structured. Um, trying to keep crops in big, in big blocks of land and not, you know, making more work for ourselves. And, uh, we're already starting to do some, you know, input pricing for next year, trying to buy some fertilizer. Fertilizer prices have gone, um, wild and then parts for machinery have gone wild too. So, um, you know, we're trying to keep a stock of parts and, and just try to stay ahead of things so we're not caught with expensive prices. There's a lot of uh, beef farmers and dairy farmers starting to tear up a lot more acres than I've usually seen in the past. So poor hay fields that did not produce hardly anything at all this year, they're they're trying to seed them down and, and work them up and stuff. I think that's great, but we're also going to have problems with the hay fields and pastures that are, aren't getting ripped up. So this problem is not only going to be just for this drought year, I think the impacts are next year too, because the cows have grazed the pastures pretty hard and the hay fields, you know, they got knocked in the head pretty good after when the guys did take what they could get for hay. Yeah, I think it's going to be a battle for another year or two just to get everything back to normal again. It's easy when you're on the outside of this type of an event to say what you should have or what you could have done. But like, and I'm, I'm like, I, when, you know, in talking with, you know, the ministry people, staff about what was going on in this district, like, you know, even calling them saying, oh, you know, I think we're entering a crisis here. Like, but I kept thinking, but it's going to rain. <laughs> like, you know, because Rainy River, though, you know, people don't like me to say that it was, you know, it's called Rainy River because of the rain. Like, you know, there's like people that are still hauling water and, and trying to get wells drilled. And, and, you know, there's just a lot going on. So I think they're thinking more immediate. But don't get me wrong. Like, you know, obviously you're always thinking about next year right but um like yeah like i i think i know i heard that comment too well you know if you were rotational grazing you still need rain like you still need like that grass when it's recovering still needs something to drink and if droughts like this um are going to be more of a theme become more prevalent what do you th think uh you would do differently uh to mitigate future losses and I mean, it could be around looking at summer cover crops or maybe uh, pest management strategies, anything like that. Yeah, so there's a couple of things we're, we're trying to change our tillage practices a little bit. We used to, well, we still do uh, pull the chisel plow quite often and try to make the soil black and and do it that way. But now with the tile in the ground where you've taken the water out of our soil, we don't need our soil to be black so the sun can heat it up in the morning or sorry, in the springtime. And um, if uh, we're changing tillage tools so we can do more of a minimum till and keep the moisture in the soil, I guess, and not not really tear around too much and, and destroy that structure. And then we're trying different crops too, like with that ryegrass, uh, it does have spring cover in the ground, it, a spring ground cover. So it's not worked in the fall and it's, it's like a winter wheat crop almost. So that's one thing we're trying and just little things like that. And actually right now I'm in the tractor switching the, um, uh, tillage tool out so i'm picking up a more minimum till tool so keep more residue on just little little things 
like that. I mean, it's not huge changes, but little changes, right? And we'll have to do baby steps and see what happens. Let's hear about the future investment to the agriculture sector. In our business, we've expanded. We're trying to get a little bit more variety in our business, not just selling grain. So we, Dad and I started a new business called Pinewood Crop Services, and uh, we partnered with the team from Manitoba called Ag Advantage, and they sell crop inputs, so uh, like seed and fertilizer and chemical. So we built a, a chemical warehouse, and we are now able to retail uh, seed, chemical, and fertilizer. Um, so it's just another leg to stand on for our, our family, another revenue stream, I guess you could say. And it also secures our supply of seed and chemical. That is, we're, in our area, Rainy River is a logistical nightmare because we have to go around the lake to get everything. So this way we have a little bit of a local store and, and the products that we need to farm and just maybe it makes life a little bit easier for us, right? For sure. It's been a tough year. We had a really exciting project going on in the district. It's not over yet, but like we re- rebuilt our sales barn and, you know, we're awarded some government money, you know, Fred Norton and OHSC to like $1.7 million. And a lot of that obviously was done through volunteers. I mean, we hired contractors too, but, and we should have been rejoicing like, like every step of the way, but it was hard to rejoice because you were you know, we kept our comments were, yeah, here we are rebuilding and we're losing our cows, right? Like, and some of that was based on growth, right? We planned to sell more animals, but who would have thought we were going to experience this? We we're going to lose cows the way we did, right? But we have to think about the future. We'll share the things we'll rebuild again slowly, I think. And yeah, it was just a tough time. Okay. And there's been um, a number of government supports uh, that have come out since this drought. How do you feel that response has been and how it's been received by farms in the area? Yeah, there's, there has been um, support. So the, the provincial government, I guess, supplied hay to a lot of the beef and dairy farmers. And uh, there's some hay down in Southern Ontario that got trucked up and actually CN brought some up in the, with the train as well. And I think that's really helped a lot of guys out and it's, I think everyone's thankful for it. And even, uh, Minister Greg Rickford was here and then with the Premier Doug Ford and they came for a visit at the sales barn and had a meet and greet and um, promised that they would, you know, keep keep supplying hay to keep the cows in the district, which is the biggest thing. A lot of hay's come into the district, like through the government program that BFO administered that brought hay into the district, which was for short term. Like it was kind of enough hay for about two weeks so that we could try to get a plan to keep the cows here. But I think, again, we we don't know the numbers, but we normally have around 12,000 beef cows, like just mama cows here. We're sure that we're, we probably are down to half of that. Best case scenario. <laughs> the thing going forward, so we're trying to secure, everyone's still working on, like I say, a lot of hay's come in, but not everyone's ready for the winter hay. They were kind of holding off, waiting to hear about the egg recovery announcements and stuff like that. There's still people that are offering hay. We know we can still source some hay, but it's an expensive source too. And then the next stage is, is like rebuilding the herd. I really hope that the government has heard us and will recognize that we're probably going to need some help to get us back on our feet again. And we hope that they realize and value that these beef cow numbers need, you know, we still were wanting more cows in Ontario. So let's not forget that we still need more cows to feed ourselves. Yeah, it's been a year. <laughs> to end off, how is Kim Joe Bliss and Rainy River recovering from this crisis? 
I felt for a little while that I was so focused on <laughs> keeping the producers, I wanted their voices to be heard that I sort of felt like I wasn't looking at myself real good. Like I was kind of avoiding dealing with what I had to deal at home. I mean, my cattle were getting cared for. That's not what I mean. I needed to make some decisions too. It kind of hit me there. Like, you know, I got to smarten up because, you know, I was feeding cows for a couple of weeks because there just wasn't enough grass. And I was trying to do it like, you know, I was trying to unroll out a bale and stuff so that I was not wasting any hay, kind of, you know, making sure that everybody got something to eat. But so then I was like, oh, I better start sourcing some winter hay too. Look, I made hay, but I didn't make enough hay. So I started to look at it like a, a little bit, you know, on, like I got to take care of my own. I got to not just worry about the rest of the district. Not that I was trying to ditch anybody, but I just felt that I was focusing a lot on making sure the messages got across to the government because it's hard when you're sitting across the province. See, you don't know really what's going on and you're taking it by, for the most part, over a Zoom call or a phone call. Like this is the word of the people. Don't be afraid to reach out. I think you know, I know that everybody was checking in on me because I think they felt that I was carrying a big load, which I did appreciate that they were checking in on me. But I think you just, I think you almost have to take time to step back just even for a day or a few hours, shut your phone off and but not talk about it <laughs> for a little bit and maybe just spend some time, right? Working and, and getting the message across for, for the people of the district and, and actually the Kenora district. I probably would never change that. Like I'm pretty passionate about these people and what we do. I don't know that I changed that. Are you optimistic about the future? I'm actually so impressed with the the grass recovery just from the little bit of rain that we have had. Like, I just think, what an amazing crop. Like, you know, to be pretty much dried up, the ground looked like cement, and it turned green again. Like, I mean, we're going through, we haven't had a hard frost yet, but the leaves are changing color, just, you know, shorter days, and, and probably partly from the drought as well. But, I mean, the place is actually quite beautiful again because the rain came and we actually have green grass, right? Like, though it's not maybe the the height that we would desire, it's it's at least green again, because <laughs> it was pretty ugly for most of the year. So that that is pretty optimistic. I think that, you know, there's greener days coming. <laughs> While Kim and Timo experienced this drought differently, it does highlight the unique challenges to different ways to farm in the north. Beef farming does appear to be increasingly vulnerable to drought events, and crop farming comes with its own challenges, but there could be strategies that could be complementary. Kim's advice to put the phone down and focus on taking care of yourself when a crisis comes is vital these days. We really appreciate the perspectives and time of each of our guests, and would love to hear what you think about drought impacts in the Northwest. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Packsack Project, and you can also find us on Twitter at The Packsack Pod. If you're not on social media, you can email us at thepacksackproject at gmail.com. To find more episodes, head to nordicinstitute.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Your participation and support means a lot to us. Thank you for following us. <laughs>